Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird. Wanting to bring more abundance into your life in 2023? I'm super excited to be hosting another one of my signature six weeks courses, Six Weeks to Abundance with The Joyful Frugalista. The next course starts on Tuesday the 24th of January and runs for six weeks from 7 o'clock every Tuesday night. Now as a special for all of those people listening to my podcast, I have $50 off each of the courses. Normally they're $250 but for you dear listeners it's only $200. Please use the code PODCASTVIP when you sign up. Humor Frugalisters and welcome. Today I have a special guest and of course all of my guests are special and today we are going to talk about something that is changing the way we manage money and that's fintech. But first I have a favour to ask of you. If you enjoy this podcast and find it useful for you, please pay it forward by sharing with a friend and even better, please follow the Joyful Frugalista podcast. Harold Dimple is an entrepreneur with experience across a range of industry sectors In the last 17 years, Harold has specialised in mobile payment technology and services through his multi-award winning financial services technology, or as it's often known, fintech business, MHITS Limited. In September 2022, MHITS Rocket Remit was awarded winner of the e-commerce category at the ACT Chief Minister's Export Awards 2022. And I know Harold through the Canberra Innovation Network. I often see him around here where he's very well regarded in this ecosystem. Welcome, Harold. Hello. Thank you, Serena. Well, it's so great to finally podcast with you. And I'm saying that because it's only taken me two years (laughs) to get you on here as a guest. Yes, I know. Thank you for persisting. Yes. And I hear this is your first ever podcast. Yes. Yes. First time. So I'm Mm. not too offended that you haven't been swanning off being guests on our podcast. You're the first. (laughs) Excellent. So I want to really ask you firstly about how you got into fintech. Like, had you always been a bit of a computer nerd who loved computing stuff or did you just see that there was a need and there was something you needed to do? Well, I'll try and be a bit succinct. It's funny, you know, I was always into stuff as a kid and Lego and inventions and things. And when I grew up, computers sort of weren't a thing. So we, we did sort of electronics and stuff like electronic cars and gadgets and stuff. That's where I got interested. And then I decided of all things to become an engineer. And makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> you like all that electronic stuff. <laughs> yeah. And would you believe I had never sat in front of a computer? That, that's computing was still very new. PCs were just coming in in the, in the sort of late eighties. And um I even failed my first two computing assignments. Wow, we well, certainly <laughs> come a long way. <laughs> so that um yeah, well, I had to pull my socks up, didn't I? So I, I quickly made up for it. But um, So that's where I started. I wasn't ever a sort of a geeky nerd in computers. I know some of my friends were. Look, things just evolve. I've moved, I've worked through a number of different sectors, a lot of other companies, a lot of what you'd call now startups in the 90s and larger corporations and learned from them. And then, um, look, through one of those roles, I was we were doing stuff to do with GPS tracking in the very late 90s before phones could do it, but we'd have a little black box put into a taxi or a truck and track their location. And we did all that through the mobile phone network. And that got me interested in mobile phones. And that got me interested in ringtones. Remember ringtones in the 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's a big thing now. You can have your favourite song and all sorts of things. Well, it's easy now, but in the sort of late 90s, it was a bit harder. You sort of had to download it from a website. So my first startup, my first dot com, was a ringtone download site. And uh, Wow, do you have a favourite ringtone? Not really. So, <laughs> not really. It's like selling. No, no, no I'm, I'm very boring. Um, but so that in the dot com era, you know, when that was sort of a thing. We just thought we'd be magically, wonderfully rich from this idea. We didn't know how to execute it on an idea, but we built this thing and it worked. And we were the first to do games in Australia, believe it or not, downloadable games. Wow. I had yeah. no idea about this history. Yeah. yeah. So, um, But out of that, what we realised is we, we quickly got overtaken by big multinationals. So we sort of had a bit of traction, but then just we just weren't experienced enough as to how to deal with the so growth. You, so you weren't an overnight billionaire? No, <laughs> no unfortunately. But one of the things that we learned from that is how to pay for something online because it's quite hard. How do you pay for a $1 ringtone online? You can't do it with cash, right? You have to do it electronically somehow. Yeah, and these days it's getting a lot easier, but it's still it's, well, complicated. And people who have money problems are often advised not to have a credit card, but then that uh, becomes difficult, doesn't well, it? Well, this is the whole problem, you see. We, the credit card is the default payment instrument, they call it. But it's not designed for online payments. It's why there's so much fraud. It never was designed for online payments. It's been band-aided for 20 years to work online. But still, it's market dominance. So that's what we use as, as a society. I was a bit ignorant of that and thought, well, I'll go and create my own payment system. So that's what I did. <laughs> I thought, well, as you do, you... Um, you think, well, look, there's got to be a better solution. Like this problem has still not been solved. Even No, it hasn't really. And so no. many of our lives are online and especially yeah. this disappearance of cash. So we are mm. going to come back yep. and talk about your, your company, but let's talk a little bit about what's happening with cash. Yep. And they've been talking about the disappearance of cash for a while, but then COVID really accelerated it, didn't it? And I was surprised. Yeah. We were in the US for two weeks recently. We had yep. about 60 US that we had from previous travel mm. with us. And mm. we never once needed to go to an mm. ATM. In fact, mm. we came back with cash still. Yeah. It was yeah. just in two weeks, we just didn't need cash. Yeah. So it's interesting. I think, because I've been around the world a bit and to different countries, so it depends on the country and the market and, the, and where you are. So if you're in a wealthy country like Australia, maybe US, okay, there's a lot of good electronic payment infrastructure and everything's sort of set up to accept electronic payments. But in a lot of countries, that isn't the case. Um, the infrastructure is poor, or people don't trust these products. So in Africa, for example, as a generalisation, there's still issues to do with people not having a bank account. They call it the unbanked. So there are about two and a half billion people. Two and a half billion people without a bank account. Or, or, or don't have a lot of products, like may have an account, one account, but don't use it. But um, So it's still, it's getting better. But the world and the, the UN and a lot of World Bank are trying to get people to have a bank account because the theory is if you have a bank account, you save money. Right? That's, that's debatable, but there are plenty. <laughs> With fees and charges, that is debatable, but I see your point. That's the traditional model, isn't it? You it, go to it your is. bank, you put your savings yep. in, in the bank, yep. your money's hopefully secure, you get interest and it's all yep. tickety-boo. Well, look, human beings have been, they've been wealthy human beings for thousands of years without banks. All right, you can store value in cattle. You can store value in jewellery. Banking is a relatively new thing for society. There are plenty of people that get rich without necessarily having bank accounts or cash for thousands of years, property, assets, things like that. But we won't go there. It's a whole other discussion. But in some countries, electronic payments are not necessarily trusted or 
you know, so culturally, I think my parents are German. The Germans traditionally like to use cash. I think it's changing now, but I've always wanted to use cash. I don't use card products as much. Very hard for some of the card providers to get penetration into some markets because the culture just doesn't accept because they perceive it as dangerous or credit as not something you would, you know, Is this introduce. a historical thing because of the hyperinflation they saw maybe, between the wars? Maybe, who knows, yeah. But it's, it's so every country has a different appetite toward products, I think. And I mean, you've got two major card schemes in the world who are obviously pushing for cards to become the dominant payment instrument. Now, they, these guys are, I mean, they're big and they do, they, they take stakes in new payment systems that come out, like new ones that we work with, mobile money. Some of them buy into them and they're very clever because <laughs> they hedge their bets because if this new technology becomes popular, they want to be part of it. And this, is, this goes on with corporations and things, but in payments, that's sort of what happens too. There's a lot of vested interests vested interest in cards being the dominant thing because it's mature, they know it. Banks make money off it because it's easy to sell, has their brand on it. They can attach a, a credit product to it. And banks like credit because that's how they make their money. They make it off lending, not off transactions. Mm, that's, that's, I, I totally hear you. It was a lot mm. of discussion, particularly when interest rates were low, and of course interest rates are going up now, about mm. how credit mm. card interest rates didn't go down at all. Mm, interesting. And we, and we just accept that 20% or, or more than 20% yeah. is just normal or acceptable. I, we just swallow it, don't we? It's interesting, uh, buy now, pay late, I know it's not necessarily top it, but that model really doesn't work in a high-interest environment. It works in a low-interest environment where credit and money is cheap. But there are problems with those models now because people will move back to a credit card. It's just as, just as easy. So yeah. let me see if I understand this. So in a high-interest environment, people will, well, they won't pay off the, the well, excess for... Um, well, I think for, for the buy now, pay later, they've got to borrow money. They've got to fund the, the whole credit process. Oh, themselves, the themselves, operators. Yeah, so they have to borrow. They have, they don't necessarily have. I'm not an expert on the models, but they they often borrow for liquidity to be able to fund the transactions, because someone's got to pay the business for the product that they've taken, right? So someone's got to fund that problem, and as they get bigger, it becomes a bigger amount of money. Now, if there's a if there's an interest bill associated with that, they then have to somehow claw that back through fees. So it's not as straightforward to scale in a different economic environment. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it's very interesting because early on, the early first movers were doing really well, but there's quite a lot of players in the market mm, now mm, and mm. they're not all doing very well. No, that's right. And um, <laughs> the valuations are dropping. I think the, the, the growth is slowing. Okay. So mm, anyway, when money's cheap and the governments are throwing it around and credit's cheap, duh, it's easy to grow a business like that. Who's not going to take, take free credit? I mean, when you have no money, of course you will. But uh, things well, are now getting back to it's, normal. It's mm. not a good economic oh, sense. No, but, no. You I, know, but, it's hard when you've got nothing and suddenly yeah. you need something like a washing machine or a fridge or just because you want to go shopping. Oh, yeah, or a, or a piece of clothing. I mean, they work very hard to tempt you to buy it. I mean, we've, remember, we've, we've been stimulated like crazy for the last two years to, to spend. The dopamine effect too. Mm, mm. And I don't mind a bit of that myself. If I'm having a bad day, I go op shopping and it mightn't be super expensive. Mm, but mm. as my husband says, you have so many clothes already. You have so much jewelry. Like, why do you need more? It's ridiculous. Yeah, but it's not what you have. It's the experience of buying something, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Mm, mm. 
So okay. we were talking a little bit about buy now, pay later. Mm. I want to talk a little bit about another fairly recent trend that has also was very exciting. At first, it's also been a bit rocky, and that's mm. the the neo bank mm-hmm, phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So what's yep. happening there? Like, what is a neo bank too? For those who well, don't know, well, yeah, okay, I'm not a super expert on this either, but neo banks, neo is new, okay, new banks. So these are banks that are starting afresh, okay. So I mean, we've got in Australia, people probably know the sort of big four or five, including Bendigo, or six, including Macquarie. But the government has a policy of sort of giving those four banks and making them stable. In the 80s, I think we had a lot of instability with a lot of banks and a lot of credit issues. Oh, I remember. There was a big mm. one in Victoria that Mm. folded, and it was just shocking. So there's sort of policy around this to to keep the big four sort of stable, and it served us pretty well. But now there's opportunities, I think, with new technology and things coming in, there's opportunities for new payment platforms to take advantage of those new payment rails, they call it, and things like the new payments platform, the real-time system in Australia, for new people to come in, and it's a lot cheaper to start a bank, okay? And there's expertise around. So I don't know why these neobanks really are failing, but my personal theory is I think they struggle to get customer uptake. So what what was interesting in the Royal Commission, I mean, you know, banks was sort of... This is the Banking Royal Commission. The Banking Royal Commission. Sorry, yes, the Banking Royal Commission. Um, <laughs> There's been a few. <laughs> yeah. um, because, you know, people were a bit aghast at the sort of behaviour of, of some of these institutions. And look, they're pretty big. So, you know, statistically, maybe there's some bad stuff going on everywhere, right? But it was exposed. and But people thought, oh, look, oh, I just really want to change banks. I'm so offended. I want to change banks. And so you would think that would be a great opportunity for neobanks to get customers or credit unions or cooperative models to get get growth, but it hasn't happened. It hasn't translated. If anything, we've gone back to the big four and they've got more market share. And I think part of it is because they they work very hard on trust and brand and stability. Yeah. Okay, that's really all they've got because money's a commodity. It doesn't matter who gives it to you. It's very indifferent. It's just money. This is fascinating because I remember speaking with someone, it's probably going back about six, seven years ago now, but this sentiment is still fairly common. Mm. And he said to me, well, I got my mortgage from X Mm. big bank Mm. because they're at my local shops and it's convenient. And Mm. I'm like, you work all day. You're not anywhere near your local (laughs) shops. Where you work is completely across town. And so, and they're not open on weekends anyway. Mm. Mm. And why on earth would you ever need to go into your local bank to talk about mm, your mortgage? Mm, you mm, pay your mortgage mm, mm. when it's due, and in my case, I pay extra, mm. and you never get to speak to them again unless mm. you want to ring them and ask for a rate review. Yeah, yeah. And so, and you're just a number to them, really, yeah. for a mortgage. So why would it matter? But I, it matters to people, well, and this is really interesting. I know. I don't understand. I mean, it is important. It does matter, but it sort of doesn't matter. So, and, and you think... I don't know, with people with more awareness of social issues and things like that, that, you know, some mutuals and banks promote that as their value, you know, difference, differentiate themselves, but it still hasn't translated into a massive movement of customers to these banks. So I think as citizens, we're just a little bit lazy and we, we just, you know, we've, if we get a better rate from this bank, or we'll move, you know, we'll move away from our credit union or we'll move away from our co-op because it's, at the end of the day, money's tight. And maybe unless we've, we, we, we have our, our purpose or our ethics or whatever it is is so we can afford to, to make a decision and maybe pay a little bit more in interest, but I'm going to back this smaller bank because I, I like what they do. That's financially hard, I think, for people to make that decision. So you gravitate to the big fish. 
And it's sad. And the big fish, also because we do work in the Pacific Islands and things, they're reducing their networks in these countries, which means these countries don't have as much access to banking services either. It means movement of capital is a bit difficult to these countries because they're focusing, I think, mainly on core product, which is lending. Like banks make money off lending, not transactions and fancy products and things. It's lending. Is there. And that's important mm. to to recognise because we mm. often think that, you know, as customers, you know, we want to have all that sort of service and all that sort of support. Mm. And we think it's their core core <laughs> business often, <laughs> but it's not. Well, you know, all the apps, the fancy things and the user experience is all based around lending, powering it. Like transactional payments are subsidised by the profit on lending. So FPOS payments, things at shops, things payment terminals, they're hideously complicated and difficult and mechanical and breakdown and everything like that, compared to a lending product, which is just a, it's just a formula adding interest. I mean, it's a pretty low-cost thing. They borrow that money and then margin it up for us. I mean, it's a pretty easy business model, right? All the rest of the infrastructure supports that. But, uh, and I think the neo, going back to the neobanks were trying to get in on that. A lot of them, I think some of them were focusing on transactional businesses, transactional processing, where there's a very low margin. The margin's in lending but then you've got to get the customer base and then they've got to have the capital to be able to, to, to on-lend and they struggle to get this because they're competing with the big banks for the wholesale capital. So maybe they can't borrow at the same rates. I get that. So again, I, I don't really know. I mean, to their credit, they, the, the couple of major ones, they didn't collapse. They handed back their license. They did it admirably, okay? They, they didn't, so they didn't just disappear no, with people's savings? No, 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 no. I mean, they're regulated, okay? And there's a lot of control over them. The government has even allowed... I think there's a sort of a few way, uh, you know, government's trying to encourage this by allowing a few exemptions so it's easier for new players to, to enter. But still commercial, I don't think they could make it stand up. Or, or maybe it was COVID. Maybe they couldn't execute in that market. Or yeah. maybe capitals went up or something. Or I, I was watching this with interest because particularly amongst the, the younger people in the mm. FIRE, financial mm. independence, retire early movement, there was a lot of excitement about the NEOs, especially because they yeah. often had good affiliate refer-a-friend programs. Yeah, yeah. And uh, a yeah. younger demographic, particularly those who were interested in, in personal finance, yeah. they really liked a lot of these features, a lot of the online app-based features. Yeah, yeah. But then I guess not everyone does, and there's a demographic there too. <laughs> there's still yeah. a lot of people who like to go into their, their bank branch. and. yeah. yeah. Things like checks, we were talking yeah, before yeah. this podcast, that yeah. checks, I'm surprised that they haven't died out, but they're still well, around. They're still around. See, there's a thing, I don't know, I, I'm i fascinated by money. I guess it helps being in my industry. I'm fascinated <laughs> by money too, so it's but, a, but a check, chat. But a check, you know, when you look at this, this, there's what they call sort of a culture around money. Like when you hand over a check, symbolically that value has now transferred to you, okay? Or when you pay with cash. You're sort of now, there's a ceremony, okay? I noticed mm. this in Europe. They have this little cash tray at the register where you put the money in there and then the cashier takes it out of there. It's not hand-to-hand. It's like a sort of interesting respect for the money. And, and Yeah, in Chinese culture, they have the uh, red envelopes. Yes. And it doesn't matter whether it's, well, it's usually in double digits rather than single uh-huh. to be lucky. Yeah. So it doesn't matter whether it's $2 or whether it's $200. Yeah. It's it's the fact that you are given one is symbolically yeah. important. Yeah, it's a sort of respect for money, right? And uh, and and when we move to electronic payment instruments, that that goes, right? And you you know, we don't probably I don't know, we don't maybe teach kids the value of money and how to create it, how to how to make it and what it is. So it's sort of a bit of a mystery. 
And I think that's a, that's another discussion. But having physical payment instruments makes it real, okay, how much money you're spending. And Even though they aren't really real, it's not like where you you know, gold bars where it's mm-hmm. a real real, it's still... Well, even notes, you know, if you've got notes. I mean, I used to, I used to run a cash book when I had money problems in my 20s. <laughs> I used to run a cash book and physically withdraw cash and budget. It was so old school, but it was the only way to get on top I, of it. I did the same when yeah. I was suddenly single yeah. um, mm. because I had to be very careful and it gave mm. me a lot of confidence because I'd mm. save whatever I had left over yeah, yeah. of a fortnight and I felt like I had something physical. Yeah. And, in yeah. fact, I'm doing it at the moment. I'm doing a $100 a week budget mm-hmm. for groceries. Yeah. I love seeing the cash, the physical yeah. cash piling up with yeah. that. See, I, I don't know. I, I, I know I'm different to a lot of people, but I, I understand that process. And I don't know how you do it with electronic money, how you get those learnings from money. I know there are electronic versions of cash books and things like that. I've seen apps and things. It's interesting. But I don't know. I hope cash doesn't go away because there's once you learn those fundamentals, I think, you can then go and move into the big time and maybe move to other, you know, you, you understand it. But if you never learn those basic rules, perhaps, in how money works and the flows of it, you, you're possibly at a disadvantage when you grow older, particularly in business, because you, yeah, you may, may make mistakes and not respect money. Yeah, respect for money is so key. But I want to talk now mm. about what your business mm-hmm. is. And so what does Rocket Remit do? Rocket Remit is our customer-facing brand of our, one of the brands our customer our company operates. We, we have had a lot of pivots in our company's history. So we started originally as a, a, a wallet, electronic wallet, with text by text message. So it's a mobile wallet. So your mobile number was your account number, and you'd use a text message to pay someone, like PayPal was in the very early days. They used email. That pivoted and pivoted and pivoted, and we failed and executed and failed and executed, till finally this sort of idea of a mobile wallet, or technical term is called mobile money. I know the term mobile money is now used in different ways, but basically the mobile number is the account number. And Okay. Yeah, okay. Now, a lot of people sort of do that with things now, but but... This architecture means something in developing countries because in developing countries, the banking system doesn't penetrate nearly to the degree it does in in wealthy countries, but everyone has a mobile phone. So in these countries, this model that we developed was being used in developing countries to create a very simple electronic payment system for people. So you might have heard of some of these brands in Kenya. There's one very famous one called M-Pesa. In the Philippines, there's Globe, Gcash. There's MTN money in Africa, and there's a few early, you know, 10 years ago, these, these were sort of early. Now, this is where the phone company would get a special license to run a system, so a payment system. So on a, most people are on prepaid. So you, you're probably familiar with prepaid phone balance on your phone. Basically, they'd have mm-hmm. a parallel balance, but it was actually money. So they could then top up that money and, or withdraw that money separately from their phone credit. Oh, so that's how we did it because I was wondering about how you do it without a bank account. But mm. that makes sense a bit if you've prepaid for your mobile calls and you just sort of get a bit more there but uh, you can withdraw no, it. No, not quite. It's a separate ecosystem. So in, 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 it's changing a little bit now because people can load via ATM or withdraw via ATM. And traditionally, you'd have an agent network, like thousands or tens of thousands of little shops that would be set up as, a, as an agent. So you'd go to them, give, give them $10 cash, and they would load that onto your mobile money account for you. And they get a little commission for that, all right? And then if you wanted to withdraw money, you would go to an agent and do a little transfer, and they would give you the cash. Does that make sense? It's sort of a very... Yeah. Yeah, very 
very sort of, and this model works in, in emerging markets because everyone gets a little bit out of everything and it works and it's scalable. And in some cases, in particular Kenya, this sort of ecosystem has, has dominated the payment system. It, it, it's more popular than banks. And over, over the years, it's been proved they've got, have added lending products, savings products, and so on. And now they're smartphones and so on, and you can link it to a bank account and so on. But fundamentally, that's the simplicity of the model. What we did is about 10 years ago, we connected our wallet in Australia to a couple of these wallets overseas. Right. Now, we had no idea really what we were getting into. <laughs> we didn't quite understand the enormity of what this represented. But what it meant is someone could send money from Australia to Kenya, right, or the Philippines. Now, we... Which is quite important. Well, it's extremely important. It's called remittance. Like, we didn't really understand what we were embarking on here, but remittance is a $1 trillion global industry. And it's one that's often not talked about mm. because, you know, here sitting in Australia in a developed country, we don't think about those who've come from other countries, mm. such mm. as the Pacific or mm. the Philippines, mm. to work. Mm. And mm. we do have the seasonal workers, uh, yep. workers yep. scheme yep. now with the Pacific, but it's yep. sort of something that... It's not really, we don't really talk about it in well, Australia. Look, in Australia, economically, everyone's supposed to have a job and earn income. But in a lot of emerging markets, that doesn't happen. You may have one breadwinner that supports a whole family and even a relative overseas that's earning money, sending money home. And in Australian eyes, that can be seen as a bit shameful, that why isn't your, why isn't your mother working or why isn't your brother working? But, you know, you, in a lot of countries, the unemployment is like 60 or 70%. So um, that's why they're not working. So there are many reasons for this. Like it, it, the remittance is five times bigger than the total world aid budget. That is how much money. Wow. So it's the hidden force in global economics. People sending money home, whole countries are dependent on it. I mean, I think Samoa's half of their GDP is remittance. You know, Philippines, it's about a third. And why it works, so countries like Australia export raw materials. We make money out of that. But some countries can't export or manufacture anything, but they can export people. And it's the people that actually earn the money and send it home. It's sort of the same economic thing, you know, but that's how they do it. And so we, we've solved that problem. And this mobile money technology is real time. So the money is transferred instantly. It used to take days. It's done a, a fraction of the It used to cost. take days and it was very expensive, both in yep. terms of the exchange rate yep. as well yep. Yep. and also in terms of the fees and charges. Yep. So we're talking about like modern payment rails, like real-time computer systems, not old things like a paper form at the post office that you'd fill in and then eventually the person on the other side would somehow collect the money from, from an agent. But this, this is sort of new stuff and we really didn't quite understand how awesome it was. So we now have big competition. There's a lot of big players in this space, but we're making our mark on this, on this in our own way. And uh, we've been growing very well. We've got really happy customers, which is really what it's all about. So someone, say, sitting in Australia who wants to send money to a relative or friend in the Pacific, mm -hmm. how easy is it to use your service? Do you just download an app? Or... Yep, you see, you, we have an app, or you can just do it online or on your mobile online. So these days, um, everything's done electronically. So you sign up electronically. You, we have to verify your ID. It's sort of similar to setting up a bank account, similar sort of ID checks that we have to do. And then you transfer money to us via the banking system, which again is pretty easy here, and then send it to your recipient or beneficiary. And you can do that process within a matter of minutes from sign up right through, so long as you don't have any hassles, so long as you can ID yourself and there are no issues and you, you know, use your card perhaps to load 
funds are available straight away, so you can send within minutes, all right? Now, usually people send every, you know, what we what we focus on, mobile money is not designed for big amounts, it's designed for small amounts. Typical remittance is about $200, but we allow people to send as little as $25, which is a lot of money, like $500 is a month's salary in, in a lot of countries. Like, mm. Okay, so we, we allow that in one transaction. So the, the advantage of mobile money is it's, it allows smaller but more frequent and cheaper value. So you don't have to save up for a year and then go and send the money, which is what traditionally remittance was. You'd save up five or $10,000 and send it at Christmas. Okay, now that's fine, but it can create all sorts of liquidity problems and, you know, people spend the money all at once and don't budget it. So we, we yeah, so we're sort of changing the, the landscape a bit. So it's still, you know, there are still some cultures that prefer sending larger amounts once, once a, 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 you know, a month or a year. So we're still trying to educate the, the world about this new, um, new channel, they call it. Wonderful. Mm. I can just imagine that this is going to be life-changing for many people. Mm-hmm. And I have one final question, oh. and that is, do you have a frugal list of tip to share? Well, look, I, it's based on my experience. Now, I, if I, look, we've persisted a lot. And if I, if I was talking to someone about, say, wanting to start a, a pursue an idea or a business idea, like really, two things, really. Just don't give up. Just persist. Persist until you're successful. I love that. <laughs> no one ever succeeded at anything by giving up on it. Maybe you might have to give up or change, but look, just persist with it. Don't be blinded by things, but persist with it. The other thing I would also say is, look, just be careful about money and borrowing money. And also even if you, again, in the business context, if you need to raise money, look, that's one option, okay? Nowadays, see if you can bootstrap. See if your model is scalable without needing to depend on someone else's money. Because we, we, we got stuck for many years thinking we couldn't proceed because we needed money from someone else. We needed that to validate our idea. Instead of working out a way, we could do it without that. And that, was, that revelation let us accelerate, all right? Sometimes you need to raise money. I understand that. But look, not everything you know, it needs money. You can look at a way of generating revenue quicker or growing slower and more sustainably. So that would be my tip. Fabulous. And I really love that message about persistence. It really resonates Mm. for me. I thought that I would be earning lots of money very quickly after my public service (laughs) life. And that didn't quite happen. (laughs) But that said, I I seriously have no regrets. Mm. I thank Mm. you so much, Harold, for joining us on this podcast. Really appreciate it. And so make sure that you check out his app for Rocket Remit if you are wanting to send money overseas. Yep quickly and yep. cheaply. Yep. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please also join the Joyful Frugalista Facebook group to chat about this topic and others. Thank you so much. Thank you, Serena. You've been listening to the Joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. And of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley. Time.